Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode fourteen of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. In this episode, we are addressing an audience question. The question is: When do you stop looking at the data, make a decision, and move on? We dive deep into this question, but instead of giving an answer, we think that the best answer comes from asking four more questions. We will show you what these questions are. Why it makes sense to fight questions with questions, and how you can use them to unstuck your team and yourself. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. This is Hao, and I am Nima. In this episode, we are going to answer an audience question: When do you need to stop looking at data to cut it short and move on and make a decision? And also the opposite of it. How do you know when is not enough to rely on the data you have, and look somewhere else, or do you have to keep gathering more data and facts? This is definitely an interesting question. It's also definitely a difficult question to answer. It's one of those things that you do, but it's more difficult to describe how you do it. It's a good question because. It forces you to be able to explain and elaborate it. I think in the typical fashion of the show, then we talk about things based on our experience. So that means that we are talking about a certain type of data science projects and a certain type of data-driven solutions that we are building. So what we are going to discuss might not fit with everyone. This is what we found out that work out for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really useful to give this kind of warning in the beginning that we are going to talk about what we actually do, and we really haven't fleshed out an elaborated theory for how we react in these situations. If this is the first time you listen to the show, the type of problem solving we typically do in our team is iterative problem solving. Then we typically start with a very short. First iteration. The aim is to get to an end-to-end solution as quick as possible, and then from that point on, we iterate further. This allow us to both get to a version quick enough, and also to be able to test and explore different directions later point in the project. And of course, this makes more sense when you're dealing with projects that involve more uncertainty, projects that deal with more complex environments. Not necessarily when you have a straightforward solution towards the problem that you are facing. So I think that's enough for the warning. So let's talk about it. If we are in a situation where we are not sure, should we stop looking at the data and make a decision? How do we come to those decisions? And then we came to the conclusion that actually, instead of trying to come up with a framework, there are a set of questions we can ask in such kind of situations. It might look a bit recursive in nature because we have a difficult question in front of us, and then we deal with it by asking a bunch of other questions. And the way to get to an answer for these questions is also very intuitive. It depends definitely on your experience and how you deal with it. But I think it's still useful to at least break down your problem into these questions, or use these questions as triggers or nudges in the direction that can help you come to better understanding of your situation and better answers towards the problem that you're. One of the first question you should ask is when is the solution we are working on not good enough? To me, that's one of the more interesting ones from a psychological perspective, at least. 
the direct question could be when is something good enough if you have the answer to that you can stop at the good enough line if that's what is acceptable but i realized by the experience of the projects that we were involved in in conversations with different data scientists with different team leads that especially for people who are really good thinkers and are meticulous thinkers it might be very difficult to introduce something as good enough especially when the project is less established, when there's more uncertainty about a problem domain, when there's novelty about the problem that is being faced. People are naturally reluctant to make a prediction without having evidence about what they think will be good enough, what they think will work. But interestingly, if you look at things the opposite way, and you ask what is certainly not good enough, it becomes much easier to think about it. I think it's similar also on the business side and product side. A lot of times we had an experience that we are working with some other product teams together to deliver a new feature. You start with a product vision and then you want to achieve certain things. And then when it comes to tangible, because when you're working on data-driven solutions, it's always good to ask the tangible. Then you ask, okay, when are things good enough? It turned out that it's also very difficult for them to answer that question. But on the other hand, everybody knows when something's not good enough. We found that question can be very, very helpful, especially at the beginning, to set tangible enough common expectations among different people that are involved in this data-driven solution that you are working on. We are looking for metrics and measures that can help us evaluate our work, that can set some kind of goal for us to move towards, some kind of performance levels to attempt to achieve. And of course, when you start the project, there's a lot of uncertainty around it, especially if it's a new domain, if you don't have prior experiences in this field, there's naturally uncertainty there. It's a useful mental tool there to think about the complements, to think about what you can exclude from the set of good enoughs. You end up getting a more limited space possibilities and a more limited range of acceptable values but at least psychologically it's much easier to think in these ways maybe there are similarities in problem solving in general when people find it useful to think about what not to do instead of what to do i think it was something from charlie munger about trading and investing where he describes the mental model that mentions it's difficult to recommend all the good practices of what you need to do but it's easier to avoid mistakes and to know what you definitely should not do then moving on to the next question if we continue working on this for another two weeks, what difference do we expect to see? I think it's such a seemingly trivial question that a lot of times can be easily lost in all the backlogs and all the refinement meetings and all the planning discussions. What you really want to see is that if there is a diminishing return, when you start seeing that actually if we spend another two weeks, we are not getting that much out of it. I think the power of this question is a lot in a moment of reflection. In a sense, it might seem recursive to ask what happens if we work on it for two more weeks. But in practice, I found it a very useful tool for reflection for the people who are involved in the project. Our approach is typically to look into different directions. Once signs of value is seen, you go deeper and deeper into that direction and start developing your solutions further and elaborating there. And the question that you mentioned is focusing on a moment of zooming out to see, is it worth to go deeper in this specific direction? or not. 
Although you might need some experience to really come up with good answers here, and I don't think there's really any way around it until we start gathering more and more data about the different projects that we do and have a way to really generalize our learning there. Even from a personal intuitive perspective, whenever I saw people facing this question, there are really good moments of thinking that enables them to at least reflect and come up with better decisions about continuation of a path or not. There is some magic in this, I think, that the stepping out allows you to gather your learnings or maybe even your intuitive feelings about the solution that you're developing and make a projection into the future about what can you gain by working, like you said, two weeks more on this or maybe four weeks more on this. It's hard to quantify, but I think in practice, it's one of the more useful questions that we found there. Think of this as a thought experiment for self-reflection for your team members, but then also as a group, you will be quite surprised to find that just by asking this question and open up that discussion, you start creating a common understanding that was not there before. In a setting where you have multiple people working on the same project, this is super helpful. I think what can be also very helpful here is if that conversation has a bit of critical thinking and questioning involved in it. So let's say a conversation goes in, we think we're going to improve things significantly if we work two weeks on it. Then what are the intuitions there? What are the reasons there? What is an estimation of the improvements that can be achieved there? You can have very good answers in response to your question there. For instance, people who are deeply involved in the problem know that there are some very low-hanging fruits available there. Or, for instance, there are some very rough solutions to some very important sub-problems in the bigger picture of things that lets them think there's much more to be achieved by working further on it. Or it might be, on the other hand, a moment where you realize, actually, most of the things we want to work on are occupying our head, but their benefits could be marginal compared to, for instance, a major change in the direction. I think it's very important that if you are leading the project or the team, then really try to strike a good balance here because you definitely don't want to discourage people from mentioning something just because they have nothing more than an intuition because you do want to consider those kind of situations and ask deeper and discuss a bit more to find out where that come from what are some of the things that lead to that on the other hand you do want to challenge them yeah the purpose is really to open that discussion and conversation as you mentioned good intuitions could be also very valuable there hopefully this question at least sparks the discussion and the moment of reflection as a form of zooming out on the problem you're solving so moving on the next question if we would have more data what difference do we expect to see that's kind of another side of this coin of putting more resources to the problem that you're solving. With more data, there are cases where statistically you can expect some improvements or differences. For instance, if you are doing some kind of A-B testing, there are formulas that let you know how much more certainty you can get by having more data based on some assumptions about the effect size and other features of the problem that you're facing. But it's more difficult sometimes to make these kind of estimations if you're dealing, for instance, with a prediction task that is novel and you're less experienced in. And different from the amount of data could also be sources of data. For instance, one question to ask is how many more pieces of text or transactions from customers do we need to gather and include in our analysis or in our models to see an improvement? But a different question is if we should totally switch to another source of data, for instance, including geographic data in a solution which didn't have geographic data before or starting to include information from images in our solution which was previously completely ignorant of images. And those questions are a bit more tricky to answer. 
I think this one is also similar to the last one, right? There's a balance to be struck here. You definitely don't want in the middle of a project, you suddenly change half of the input data types because this will just naturally blow the scope of the project up. But then on the other hand, especially when you are hitting a point where you say, not sure we should just make a decision or gather more data, then always also think about not only more data, but also different type. And then again, I think a very useful mental model there is the process of solving problems in iterations. For instance, if you have a suspicion or you have good reasons to assume a new data source could bring in value, there could be ways that you start looking at a smaller scale of including that type of information with very rough solutions to see what kind of value they can bring. There should be something fundamentally different in bringing that new source of data into your already existing solution. The same could be thought about gathering more data of the same type. You might have already established a solution on some scale. You're seeing positive indications of performance there. Then it might warrant more to start gathering more data there to get more certainty about your solution and to go deeper in one direction with more resources. Last but not least, the fourth question we typically ask ourselves in such situation is, given where we are now, would it be valuable to show it or test it? There's a tendency sometimes to say, let's work on another week before we show this to people, or let's work on another two weeks before we test it. I think in the history of us working together, I have been always on the side of, let's just show it to people early because this is where we can get feedback. So coming from a lean startup background, right? I'm, I'm of the school of, if you show it and it's not ugly, then uh, you show it too late. But then I think what I really appreciate is that often you point out the other side of the story, which is actually there are situations you don't want to share too early. Yeah, there's definitely a balance to be hit there. I also came to the learning, especially during experience of being involved in projects which have many moving parts, that it's really crucial to get quick feedback, to show it more often, to test it more often. But there are also drawbacks of showing something super ugly. On one hand, you can just waste time of people who you show it to, or if you're really testing it on users, you can cause really bad user experience. And there's also just a reputation of your team and the work that you're doing. It's easy to get obsessed there and go for perfection. That's more typical, at least intuitively, among data scientists. On the other hand, I think it's really crucial to find that good enough level for the stage that you are in your development of the solution and the project that you're involved in. And once you pass that level, share it and test it and show it as soon as possible. From experience, especially when you're dealing with projects with multiple parts, with multiple teams involved, projects where the product vision for instance, is not very clear in the beginning, there's really a huge amount of value in showing and getting to something concrete, especially in the very beginning. Seeing something concrete could be the most valuable step you can take in the project. Sometimes even having dummy data there could be useful to see something, but then typically dummy data is not giving you a correct sense of things. On the other hand, a very rough first iteration could point out and make clear a lot of the main features of a product that relies on your data. And in that sense, I think it could be very helpful to go for quick iterations, go for faster learnings and improvements of your work. I come to a realization, especially in the past few months, that also there's a big difference between, for example, the typical front-end product or a lean startup setup where you say, okay, show something, and if it's not ugly, you show too late. I think for user-facing stuff, something visual, that might be true. But then 
when it comes to data-driven solution, a lot of times typically take other teams, especially not data-intensive teams, longer time to understand the data, to dig into it, to get a feeling of it. That's why over the years I start agreeing with Nima more and more that actually maybe it's good not to show too early and not to show too often, but then make sure that whenever we show, we anticipate people's questions and we got to a good enough stage that we are on top of our data and we can answer those questions that we know are coming. Especially as leads, I feel it's very important to find a good balance there. I often find myself taking two opposing stances at the same time. Towards the team, I typically have to push them to share faster, to share results that they're not comfortable with sharing. And towards the business, for instance, in the relation that you mentioned, I'm typically arguing for having a bit more time, working on things a bit longer before sharing them. So as a lead, I think you really need to play a careful role there. You can't deny the human side of things. You can't deny that you're working with people. As a team lead, you're definitely responsible for the people you're leading. One of the things I've seen a lot and still difficult for me to deal with is pushing my team to share a result that they know is not perfect. Trying to convince them that we're going to make good context and good awareness that this result is not supposed to be perfect. And still, once this result is shared, it's very likely that even with the best of intentions, a good number of feedback points come back to the team. And the natural tendency for the team there is to get a bit defensive there or to be not super happy about this kind of feedback. Sometimes in the worst case, considering it as a form of criticism in their personal capabilities or competence. Typically, the answers to this feedback is, of course, we know about this. And, and it is true that they did know about this when we were sharing this. These were things that we thought about. But in their quick run towards making a solution, towards sharing it, we didn't take the time maybe to write down everything that we know is wrong with this data. Maybe there's value in doing that. And that's a lesson to learn as well. But my point is that you should be very careful, but also expect to be in this situation. When these things happen nowadays, I know that from one hand, people are going to be critical about the results and there's going to be really good information in that that we can take for the next iteration. That's very beneficial to us because we can have other people thinking about our work and show us a lot of places where we need to make improvement. On the other hand, people who actually do the work might feel a bit criticized or attacked even and feel that this is also not fair because they knew about a lot of these imperfections in the work that they delivered. So being ready to be in this situation and preparing yourself to deal with this, I think is one of the most crucial things in dealing with the good enough decision and how you act around it. Here's where we go the full cycle, because after you get the feedback, then you might start asking yourself, okay, our previous definition of when the solution is not good enough, based on the new understanding, the new feedback we get, do we need to change some of that? So this leads to the fact that the questions we mention, these four questions, they are not meant to be used just once and then in that sequence for the life cycle of a project. Instead, at different moments of a project, especially in the moments where you think, hey, do we want to stop looking at the data or do we want to gather more? depends on the situation. You want to ask different combinations of those questions and throughout the life cycle of the project. This revisiting of the questions, I think, is key in using these questions. For instance, about the good enough, our understanding of good enough performance levels, even the metrics that we use or KPIs that we use to define good enough are always evolving. And that's something that we just need to get comfortable with. In the beginning, we don't have the amount of information that we're going to have as we progress in the project. And it's natural that we improve our estimations by better understanding, we even change what we mean by good enough. That's a mentality 
mentality which is really helpful to adopt to be ready to change your opinion, to be ready to say I was wrong and my estimations were not the best. Even the metrics I was thinking about were not complete when I first started this work. That's probably a bigger discussion of dealing with iterations and gaining more information. But in principle, it's good to have that in mind and to be able to revisit every decision and every conclusion that you made during your project. Also, one of the things we found quite interesting is that by asking these questions, you start also shaping how your team think about their work. You start helping your team develop the competency of making those decisions themselves. Maybe the first time you ask the question, it didn't register. But then when you ask it the tenth time, you will hear them asking themselves those questions. And that is the moment where you say, hey, the team has learned this. And those are the moments that I always feel really happy about. Yeah, these are really special moments where you feel you have a new team culture or you feel something has been buried into the way people think about the problems. I think we have addressed the audience question. Of course, we'll get back to her and see if that's really the case. But tradition of the show, one key takeaway. What is the one thing that the audience can take action on tomorrow in their daily work based on everything we discussed today? I think on my side, it's just try to ask one of the four questions tomorrow for any of your projects. You can do it with yourself and ask yourself that question, but I would really encourage you to ask the team members you're working with on a larger project and see what comes out of it. There's a chance that you'll be pleasantly surprised. This time, I don't have a takeaway that you can directly apply tomorrow, maybe. But looking at these questions, one thing that becomes clear is that a lot of them rely on good judgment, if not good intuitions. What can be really useful for teams in these settings is if you start actually recording data and recording these decisions, making a history that you can look back into to reduce the role of intuition, to kind of capture that expertise and experience, which is always tacit in people. This could be achieved, for instance, by monitoring of your work to see when you are reaching the diminishing returns or even more elaborate quantification and recording of the factors that go into these decisions so that hopefully in future they can be reused so that you can find patterns, you can build on this experience in a more quantitative, more data-driven way, which is not only inside the people's head who've been involved in these projects. All right, this is it. Everyone, thank you for listening and have a nice day. Have a nice day. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills. And we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds.show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day.